So uh, mornings like this are really good for me because, uh, you know, I get excited about all the people that are here and the parking lot's crowded and I think, man, maybe they actually do listen to what I have to say and then I realize, oh, they're here for the kids. <laughs> I forgot, totally forgot. Well, as many of you know, uh, over the years I've enjoyed doing some woodworking projects uh, for our home, for other people. Just useful things like a coat rack or an end table or a bookcase or those sorts of things. And then there are special projects along the way, um, like this podium or the cross that's behind me. Um, Those are things that I enjoy doing, but I wouldn't say that I'm naturally uh, creative in that regard. Uh, What I mean by that is I can't just launch into a project and kind of figure it out as I go. I need a plan. And not only do I need a plan, before I do anything, I need to think through the steps of construction. So for me, that's kind of processing the sequence of how things need to be made, but also anticipating some of the challenges along the way and thinking ahead about what some of the solutions might be. So before I ever begin, I kind of finish what, I start with what I want the finished product to to look like. Well, in an infinitely greater way, I think this is how God looks at his creation. Before there was ever a beginning, he started with the end in mind. He considered that finished product of his perfection where God's people live eternally in the presence of a loving God. But in order for that to happen, God too had to anticipate the problems along the way, before he ever created mankind. Now think about this. Before he ever created mankind, he knew that they would rebel against him. And through that, sin would enter into the world, destroying the life-giving relationship that we were ultimately created for. So before it ever happened, God had to determine a solution for the problem of sin. And so he sovereignly ordained Jesus to be our Savior, even before the world began. So that's what we're going to look at this morning, because unlike what we see in Matthew and Luke and some of the passages that we've uh, gone through together in preparation for Christmas, John doesn't actually begin with the story of Jesus' birth. He literally goes back to the very beginning, that moment of creation where God reveals the the life and the light and the love that we see in Jesus Christ. So before we look at that together, let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, as we come to you, we uh, do, as has been mentioned this morning, we want to pause. Pause for a moment from the busyness of all the last-minute details and all the plans of travel and all the gathering of family and all the wonderful things that are a part of this season, but we want to pause to put our hearts on the most wonderful thing, you, how you spoke life into this world, and as a result, spoke life into our hearts, and maybe in some way, Lord, would you, by your grace upon grace, allow that message of truth to resonate even more deeply and speak afresh to us this morning. We pray this in your name. Amen. We'll read again, beginning in chapter 1 of John, verse 1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. 
He was in the beginning with God. All things came into being through him. And apart from him, nothing came into being that has come into being. In him was life. And the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness did not comprehend it. So to clarify right up front what John is saying here, we need to understand how he's using the word as a reference to Jesus. Now, we know that's true because of what he says in verse 14 where he says, the word became flesh and dwelt among us, clearly referring to the person and work of Jesus Christ. So John is helping us see that that Jesus is the one through whom God revealed his plan to the world. Just as we use our voice to to communicate what's on our mind, God spoke through Jesus in order to reveal his redemptive plan for the world. John is saying that in the beginning was Jesus. Even though Jesus had no beginning, we understand that, right? Because John makes it clear he was with God and he was God, eternally existing in the undivided fellowship of the Trinity, Father and Son and Holy Spirit. So before there was ever an Adam, a molecule, or, or any living cell, there was Jesus. And all creation came into being through him. He created everything out of nothing. A world filled with wonder and color and life. So what that tells us in is, is Jesus is the source of life. It's how all life came into being, and ultimately, it's also how all life is sustained. It's how it continues to exist, even in this moment. We know that's true because of Colossians chapter 1, verse 16, where it says, For by him, speaking of Jesus, all things were created, both in the heavens and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. All life created by Jesus, all life sustained by Jesus. John goes on to say that that life that is found in Christ is ultimately a light in the world of humanity. So now, as we've kind of started big looking at all creation, we are now narrowing it down to a smaller group. These are the ones uniquely created by God. Man and woman, made in the image of God, and made ultimately to live in a life-giving relationship with God, which what makes humanity altogether different than any other part of God's creation. Created by God, given life, by God, to live eternally in a life-giving relationship with him. So the life of Jesus reveals God's holy and divine purpose for humanity. His light shines in the darkness of a sin-cursed world, calling us, every one of us, all of humanity, into the relationship that we were created for. But John reminds us that those who live in the darkness do not understand what that means. 
Because by nature, we, in our sin, rebel against God. We rebel against God's design because, quite frankly, we want to be like God. You see, Adam and Eve get a bad rap because they took that apple because we learned they wanted to be like God. But is that any different for us? I mean, we want to be in control of our own life. We want to decide what's right for me. We want to do what we think is best for us. We want to be like God. But the light of Christ reveals how that path, that path where we are in control, ultimately leads to destruction. And his life, his light reveals a different way. Let's look at how... He continues to talk about that in verse 6, where John says, There came a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to testify about the light so that all might believe through him. He was not the light, but he came to testify about the light. There was the true light which, coming into the world, enlightens every man. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, and the world did not know him. He came to his own, and those who were his own did not receive him. But as many as did receive him, to them he gave the right to become children of God, even to those who believe in his name, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. Before Jesus began his ministry, we know that there was a prophet also sent by God, who would announce his arrival. That was John the Baptist. And the Old Testament not only speaks about the arrival of Jesus, it also speaks about the arrival of the one who will precede him. We see that in Isaiah chapter 40. I'll read that for you, beginning in verse 3. Isaiah says, A voice is calling. Clear the way for the Lord in the wilderness. Make smooth in the desert a highway for our God. Let every valley be lifted up and every mountain and hill be made low. Let the rough ground become a plain and the rugged terrain a broad valley. Then the glory of the Lord will be revealed and all flesh will see it together. For the mouth of the Lord has spoken. When we read those words spoken by the prophet Isaiah, we need to understand that that voice calling in the wilderness is John the Baptist announcing the one who will bring the glory of the Lord and reveal it to all mankind. That's Jesus. Jesus is that glory who revealed God's plan to all of humanity. The light of Christ's life revealed the plan of God's redemption for all the world to see. We learn here in these passages in John that that light showed no partiality. It says that it was a a revelation to all humanity, exposing the darkness of sin and revealing the light of salvation. It was ultimately a, a message of hope for the world. But John again reminds us, the world did not accept it. They rejected the message of salvation because... They didn't know Jesus. Or more specifically, they did not understand their need for a Savior. You see, the selfishness of sin leads us to believe that we're doing just fine on our own, that we've got this. 
sin leads us to believe wrongly that we can determine what's right and what's best for me. You see, there's a lot, even today, who look at Christ, they look at the life of Jesus, and they say, yeah, that's important for some, but it's really not necessary for me. So what John is talking about in his day still exists for us. One might expect that of the Gentiles, especially during that time. They were involved in all kinds of pagan worship. They were involved in all kinds of idol worship. And today, we can say that there's a lot of people who don't feel a need for Jesus because life is pretty comfortable. It's going pretty good, which would imply that they're doing just fine on their own. But John goes on to tell us that not only was he rejected by the Gentiles who weren't looking for him, they were rejected by Israel who were. These were the people of God, set apart by God. And and God had sent prophets to, to explain to them who the Messiah would be and what he would do. And yet, they ignored it. They instead depended on religion for righteousness. And as a result, they didn't see their need for a Savior either. So many in the world, even today, don't see their need for Jesus. But John reminds us not everyone rejected Jesus. There were those who listened to his teaching. And believed that he spoke the words of truth. There were those who saw his miracles and and admitted as they witnessed what he accomplished that he was doing things that only God could do. See, they looked at Jesus and they understand their deep need for a Savior. And so they put their trust in him. And through faith in Christ... They are adopted into the family of God to as many as receive him. To them, he gives the right to become children of God, trusting in God to do for them what they could not do for themselves. We see that in Colossians 1.13 where it says that they were rescued from the domain of darkness and transferred into the kingdom of his beloved son in whom they found redemption by the forgiveness of sins. 2 Corinthians 5.17 says that they became new creations in Christ. Old things have gone, and behold, new things have come. See, they experienced the, the power of God's transforming work. And what is that work doing? What is it ultimately accomplishing? Well, it's accomplishing what his original design intended, to bring us into a life-giving relationship with God that we were created for. Believing is, Acts 4.12 says that there is salvation in no one else. That there is no other name under heaven given unto men by which we can be saved. Even Jesus himself, in his high priestly prayer in John chapter 17 verse 3 says, For this is eternal life, that they may know you, the one true God, and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. Look at how John continues in verse 14. He says, and the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we saw his glory. Glory of the other, only begotten from the Father, full of grace and truth. John testified about him and cried out, saying, This was he whom I said, He who comes after me is higher rank than I, for he existed before me. 
for all of his fullness we have received, and grace upon grace we have received. For the law was given through Moses, grace and truth were realized through Jesus Christ. No one has seen God at any time. The only begotten God who is in the bosom of the Father, he has explained him. So what John is doing here is he's helping us see that that the light of Christ is what reveals the life we have in Christ so that we can see the love that is displayed by Christ. The love that became visible when the word became flesh and dwelt among us. When, When the glory of that divine nature put on human flesh and entered into a sin-cursed world. Now, we need to understand that he didn't have to do that, right? He had every right as a righteous judge to come and condemn by a righteous judgment those who have lived in sin. Condemning mankind for selfish rebellion. And yet, John reminds us, he didn't do that. Instead, he came in grace and truth, patiently and graciously revealing the truth of his salvation. And Jesus did this because of his great love, not wanting any to perish, not one, but all to come to repentance. Instead of giving us what we deserved, he came for our highest good. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 4 says, But God, being rich in mercy, because, here it is, of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses and sins, he made us alive together with Christ. How? By grace you have been saved. And John the Baptist, the one announcing the coming of the Messiah, knew this was true. His ministry ultimately had nothing to do with him. His ministry pointed people to Jesus, the one he says that was a higher rank than him. And the reason is because he existed before him, which is interesting. Because John the Baptist knew that Jesus was born after he was. But he also knew that this was the promised Messiah, the one that the prophets had spoken of for thousands of years. He is the one who has eternally existed, who has no beginning in the presence of the undivided fellowship of the Trinity. See, Jesus didn't come into being at his birth. His birth only introduces the holiness of heaven into the world of sinful humanity. But why? As Brian said, why? Why would that happen? Verse 16 answers that question to demonstrate his unmerited favor towards you and I, an undeserving people. He came that we may have grace upon grace. And I love this little phrase in this passage because in the original language, it literally means grace replacing grace. Isn't that great? And and so to help get a picture of that, think about being on the shore of the ocean and a wave rolls in. And then as soon as that one does, uh, it, it's thing another one 
immediately follows it. Wave upon wave upon wave. And that is what it means to have grace upon grace. A continual supply that never, ever ends. Grace replacing grace. Wave upon wave. And it knows no end because it's based on a love that knows no limits. John reminds us that that God revealed this love. But, But not only that, he reminds us that before we see what happens through the life of Christ, there was the law of Moses. And so the question is, how do these two things go together? Well, the law of Moses is what reveals our sin. It was never intended to remove our sin. Instead, it helps us understand how desperately we need a Savior. Jesus came in grace and truth to reveal that he's the Savior that we so desperately need. John 3.16, we all know this one, right? For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son so that whoever believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. But he goes on in verse 17 and says, For God did not send his son into the world to judge the world. Pause here. He had every right to. But instead, he came that the world might be saved through him. That's great love. John closes uh, our passage by reminding us that no one has ever seen God. But he's also quick to clarify that this is one of the reasons Jesus came. Jesus came in order to make God known to us. And so very simply, we need to understand that when we see Jesus, we see God. The writer of Hebrews in chapter 1, verse 3 says, Jesus, speaking of Jesus, is the radiance of God's glory, the exact representation of his nature. Not part of his nature, not sort of like his nature, the exact representation of God's nature. It goes on and says, and Jesus upholds all things by the word of his power. He came to put God's love on display through his never-ending supply of grace, leading us to the hope of eternal life, revealing to us the path of destruction on our own and inviting us into a life-giving relationship with him that we were ultimately created for. Now, as we think about that, I want us to consider how those attributes of Jesus that we've walked through together, his life, his light, and his love, I want us to consider how those things apply to us. And so for us to do that, I want us to go back to a passage later in the Gospel of John in his high priestly prayer when Jesus is praying just moments before his death. And I want us to look at the last two verses of that prayer. So turn to John chapter 17. If you want to look at that with me, John chapter 17, and we're going to begin in verse 25. And this is important because this will be the basis of what we used to apply this passage to our lives. So beginning in verse 25, it says, O righteous Father, Jesus praying, although the world has not known you, yet I have known you. And these things, and these have known you, speaking of his disciples, that you sent me. And I have made your name known to them and will make it known so that the love with which you love me may be in them and I in you. 
Okay, I'm going to read that last part one more time, and I need you to understand that when Jesus is speaking of the life of his disciples, he has in his mind his future disciples, which are those who even live today and put their faith in Jesus Christ. And here's what it says of you. So that the love with which you loved me may be in them and I in them. So again, that's the basis of our understanding here. Because if Christ is in us, which is what this says, right? If Christ is in us, then so is his light and his life and his love. All those attributes that we saw lived out in him are now being lived out in us, those who belong to him. So let's start, for example, with the life of Christ. And I'm going to look at a passage that you're familiar with in John 10.10. It says that the thief came to destroy, right? To steal, to kill, and destroy. But Jesus said, I came that you may have life and have it, what? Abundantly. Now, here's what's really cool about that word, abundantly. So in the original language, it kind of paints a picture. It's a picture of a cup being filled with water. Okay, you got the image? Okay, when that cup gets full of water, you know what happens? It just keeps pouring. It just keeps pouring. So it's just overflowing, constantly full. That's the picture of abundant life. We see it in the Psalm 23, right, where he says, my cup overflows. That's abundant life. It's what's being spoken of here. It's kind of like grace replacing grace in a way, but this is life replacing life. It's as if there's a spring of living water living inside of you, which there is. Jesus himself said in John chapter 4, verse 14, but whoever drinks of the water that I will give him shall never thirst. But the water that I will give him will become in him a spring of water, springing up to eternal life. So abundant life is one that is overflowing with meaning and purpose, one that is not satisfied by the passing pleasures of this world, but instead it lives for something more than this world has to offer. As Jesus promised through that spring of living water within us, what it is is a life that finds its deepest satisfaction in Jesus. That's the abundant life but it's also a life that is filled with light. 1 John 1, 6 says, if we say that we have fellowship with him and yet walk in darkness, we lie and we do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light, as he himself is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of his son Jesus cleanses us from all sin. So when we walk in the light, that means we have nothing to hide, right? Because the light exposes everything. But we, as a follower of Christ, have nothing to hide. How, how's that true? Well, because of Romans 8.1. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Which means you can live a life of complete transparency before your brothers and sisters in Christ. Be quick to confess. Because we all fall short. Not only to God, but to one another. Living in the light means that we walk in fellowship with Christ, that we are illuminated by God's word. 
It means we follow the leading of his spirit. And all of this, we need to understand, is guiding us into a deeper experience of Christ's love. That's what you were created for. We see that in John chapter 15, verse 9. It says, just as the Father loved me, I also loved you. So, abide in my love. That word abide means to to dwell or, or to remain it's a deep understanding of Christ's heart. It's, it's being in his presence without being fidgety and ready to leave. It's to linger. And it's to know God, but not with some intellectual knowledge where you know about him. Okay, this is a deep knowledge of understanding. It's actually quite intimate. The reason I know that's true is because when the Bible speaks about knowing God, it uses a word that you can find all the way back in Genesis. And we see it when it says that Adam knew Eve, and she conceived. So this is a deep, intimate love. It's a love that is full of affection. It's what it means, ultimately, to be fully known and yet fully loved. Flaws and all. That's what Jesus wants us to experience in our relationship with him, fully known and fully and completely loved. He wants us to walk in the light so that we can have fellowship with him, living an abundant life that that finds its deepest satisfaction in Jesus, experiences love and his grace, replacing grace, replacing grace from now through all of eternity. I want to share with you as I close something I read in a biography uh, from Charles Spurgeon that really, quite frankly, challenged me. It was toward the end. He was talking about final glory, the day I am sure we are all looking forward to, right? That's the day when all things are made new, a time when there's no more sin, there's no more suffering, There's no more sorrow. There's no more pain. In fact, everything that's wrong in the world today is made right in that moment. All of creation returning to fulfill its original beauty, including you and I who trust in Christ. And I think as we hear that description, there has to be within all of us something that wells up and says, yes, I cannot wait for that day. No more sin, no more suffering, no more pain. Yes. But he goes on and says this. If all those things are true, but we don't have Jesus, it would be hell. That's what challenged me because I stopped for a moment and thought, would it? I mean, it sounds pretty good, right? Oh, but without Jesus, that's what this is all about. He goes on and says this, oh, to think of heaven without Christ, it would be the same thing as thinking of hell. Heaven without Christ is day without sun, existing without life, feasting without food, seeing without light. And I agree. But I want to suggest to you one other thing. I don't believe that's reserved for heaven. I think it's true for life right now. 
because we see in Colossians chapter 3, verse 4, when Christ, now look at this, who is our life? Okay, it's describing the reality before he ever comes. When Christ, who is our life, is revealed, then you will also be revealed with him in glory. So Christ is our life, both now and for all of eternity. Apart from Christ, we exist without living. We feast without food. We walk around in a mysterious room filled with obstacles and no light as we stumble our way through. He came in the world to reveal his light so we don't have to stumble our way through, but to follow him who leads us to eternal life. How? Because he gave his life. Why? Because of his great love. And our hearts are restless until we find our rest in him. Amen? Let's pray. Father, thank you for how you so wonderfully, beautifully, clearly revealed your love for us. Thank you for what we celebrate during this time of year when the holiness of heaven took on flesh and entered into a sin-cursed world to reveal the redemptive plan of is what we are created for. The world began. This is what we are created for. And you, Jesus, are the one who made that possible. So may we rejoice and be glad living an abundant life that overflows, walking in the light as we live in fellowship with you, and not only experiencing that love, but letting it overflow into the lives of those around us. We pray this in your name. Amen. Please stand. Let's sing together. Heaven without Jesus. We know that's impossible, right? Because he's the one that makes all things new, both then and now. As you walk in the light and live in fellowship with him, you are made new. Old things have gone. Behold, new things have come. You are a new creation in Christ. And so here's my hope for you, that as you go through the Christmas season, that you would draw in close to our Savior. To the point that he becomes so dear and delightful as he delights in you. That when you think about the joys of heaven and no more sin and, and no more suffering, you would look at those things and say, yeah, that's good, but man, there's Jesus. If all I have is him, that's enough. So, so rejoice in Jesus. Be fully and completely satisfied in him. He is our everything and all we need. So let's go and celebrate that together. Amen? Have a great day.